I want to see what, what did you bring, Connie? Well, I had a hard time choosing, so I actually brought two things. Uh, one is a Montessori Peace Pool. This is a tabletop version, but uh, these are very well known in the Montessori community. And the other is a bell, and uh, bells are very important in the Montessori world as well. Ooh, okay, well, we'll hear more about that briefly. And Nas, <laughs> what did you bring? Well, I actually have a quote that I've always liked uh, from Maria Montessori, which is, uh, the child is both a hope and a promise for mankind. The child, say that again. A, the child is both a hope and a promise for mankind. A hope and a promise for mankind. Ooh, I can't wait to hear them. Like, I, I'm not familiar with any of those. <laughs> but I'm so, I'm so glad that I invited you because I'm going to learn something. For those of you who are joining and listening to this podcast, my name is Valerie Hope. I am your host. Welcome to Not Quite Strangers. This podcast, the whole idea is bringing people together who are not quite strangers and build a bridge, build a connection, explore some top topics or interesting experiences to inspire curiosity. And who knows, we might even challenge the status quo if we're lucky. <laughs> I've brought these two wonderful women to join us to join us today because, first of all, I'll just say, Connie, you and I have been friends for like, I don't know, five years? At least, yeah. So quite a while. I spent quite a lot of time talking. And, you know, you're a director of Montessori School. And I, I for some reason, I always feel like Montessori schooling speaks to my soul. <laughs> so much so that, I've, you know, I'm clearly not... <laughs> It's Montessori school age anymore, but I was like, can I come visit? Can I just see? And now my brother works with you at mm -hmm. your school. So, um, so we have that wonderful connection and Nas, you and I have known each other. I think we met three or four years ago. I think four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you were running, you were putting together an event for people in the learning community, right? Corporate, mm -hmm. and corporate learning community. And we just connected. You were there for a pretty important transition in my career, that's right. actually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've just, you know, casually stayed in contact. Um, not very often, but somehow I think one of the last times we spoke, you mentioned some of your interest and passion in Montessori education. I think your child goes to Montessori mm -hmm. school. I yeah. was like, oh, I know you should meet. <laughs> I'll tell you the, the real truth though, is not that just because the two of you are Montessorians, this was actually born of a conversation I had with you, Connie. Mm -hmm. um, so this past summer, shortly after George Floyd was murdered and some of the things that were happening in the, the community, I remember you saying you wanted to really commit to expanding and diversifying, right? Creating more inclusive experience at your school. It's a private school, you know, fairly affluent community, predominantly white. And in our conversation, you were talking about connecting with other Montessorians. And when mm -hmm. I asked, like, well, who's in the group? All of them were white, I believe, and female. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, man, maybe you should meet some other Montessorians from other backgrounds. And the only other person that I knew that had any kind of Montessori background that was not, <laughs> not white and female is not. <laughs> of Indian descent <laughs> so I was like oh man <laughs> so I hoped by connecting the two of you that there would be something sparked and you said you exchanged emails but this is your actual first time meeting so that's right all of that to say welcome to the show and thank you for saying yes thank you thank you for asking <laughs> uh, well before we go into the items I'd like to know what had you say yes like why even connect with another person even the emails that I had um, I, when I introduced you, why did you even say yes to that or try? 
Yeah, from from my perspective, I always feel like it's a nice to meet new people because I think it broadens your perspective, broadens your horizons. Um, and I just thought, you know, you and I maybe had met quite briefly in the grand scheme of things. You know, we maybe spent a couple of days together and I and we stayed in touch. And I thought, you know, it's nice to actually just sort of leverage that kind of relationship to learn more and to learn, you know, sort of to, to meet new people. And so for me, it was a pretty easy yes, actually, because, you know, I had the relationship with you and I saw how that grow, how that grew. And I thought it'd be nice to, to make another connection, particularly one, I guess, in the Montessori space where, like you had said, my experience has mainly been as a, as a parent. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of get a different perspective on things as well. Ooh, adventuresome. I wonder about <laughs> for you, Connie. Uh, similar, actually. Um, you know, I feel like, Valerie, when you and I met, we just had this instant connection. And uh, so when you asked, well, well when, when you first mentioned about connecting me with Nas, uh, you know, I always want to be of service in the Montessori community. It's something that's a, a, a big goal for me because there were so many people who have been of service to me in my experience in the Montessori world. So it's been something that for the last 15 years, I have really committed myself to is, you know, if somebody needs anything, if it's a place to stay when they go through Montessori training or a listening ear or a connection that I was going to commit to that because it felt very much like a uh, not really pay it forward, right? Because I was a recipient at one point. So full, full circle, you know, like that I had received so much from other Montessorians in my early years that I wanted to be that resource for others. Uh, but then honestly, also like anybody who's cool by Valerie's, that by Valerie is cool by me. So, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I get to meet another of Valerie's, you know, cool people. So, <laughs> That's the uh, bar. Yeah. Only yeah. cool people get <laughs> right? on this program. You're in. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, so it, it was a really easy yes for me too. Uh, well, thank you. I so I don't take that for granted because I know even when people have asked me to meet somebody, I'm a little bit like, why? Like, <laughs> I I'm a little bit more controlling <laughs> about who gets in my space, and so I find myself being a little bit more like. I'm not sure. Tell me more. Sell me on this. Uh, but the two of you are both so generous, right? So that's why I thought this would be a really fast, fascinating conversation. But I asked you specifically to share more about your Montessori experience because it's such a unique type of education. So maybe just to start off, you might, I don't know who would like to, maybe both of you can share what is Montessori school education for somebody that might be listening or watching and going, okay, what is that? I've heard of it, but I have no idea what's different about it than a typical public school education in North America, for example. Mm -hmm. I'll defer to Connie on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there it, there's so much to it that sometimes it can feel challenging to refine it down to, let's say, an elevator pitch. Um, but I would say a Montessori education puts the child at the center of everything that we do. And, you know, I've been doing this for almost 25 years. And I will say still every day we have the conversation about, well, how will this decision impact the child or the children at the school? So we really commit as Montessorians to make decisions based on what's best for children. And so I think, you know, that really, uh, it's a very child centric approach. And it's what in the education world, we call it a constructivist education. So rather than 
thinking that as teachers, we put information into a child's brain, the constructivist approach believes that we're always drawing out. And so um, John Dewey, uh, who's a real early pioneer in constructivist education used to say, you know, the root word of education is educare, which means to draw forth. Mm. And so that we're all, our goal is to um, inspire and interest and connect children to materials that will uh, develop their learning. And so Montessori teachers are really considered guides more than, than teachers, more than the tradition, a teacher in the traditional sense, with the goal being to draw forth all parts of a child. We're also very whole child educators. So it's not just about the academics. It's about their social development, their psychological development, their emotional development. And so all of those things come together to you know, really um, respect the child on their journey through their life. Mm. That's one of the reasons that I was so fascinated by it because it, the, I'm a leadership coach, right? By, by profession, but I've always had that interest in keen, I don't know, instinct to develop people and always assuming that they already know what they need to develop. It was just me supporting and guiding perhaps a tool or a resource to help sharpen it, but for the most part, drawing it out. And that doesn't even happen in the workplace that often, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. the instru- it's not constructive. It's definitely more instructive, mm-hmm. right? It's giving mm-hmm. others. And so I, I thought, oh, this would be a really fascinating conversation to have and to continue to grow. And for you, Naz, I'm curious about why you decided to invest in Montessori education for your child or your children. Yeah, so my introduction to it actually came from my mother-in-law who had, um, you know, after a career in the corporate world, decided she wanted to be a Montessori teacher. She's never one to sort of sit idle. And so she, once she retired, actually went to Montessori school and like learned how to be a Montessori teacher, did the placements and so on. And so, um, and she just, and it's very much, I almost learned from her about a lot of the um, principles that Connie was talking about, about just observing the child, she would come over when I had my two sons, when they were both babies, and she would just sit and watch them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, being awfully passive, you know, you also, often grandmothers are going to be like super doting and you try to do everything. And she, she could sit for hours and just watch them. And just, you know, she, all these observations, and even to this day, so I have two sons, they're eight and almost six now. Um, and she'll just, she'll say, did you see, did you notice that one of them did this or one of them did that. So, and so she taught me to do that more, to just sit there and observe. And so I'll just sometimes sit there and just watch them and you just, and it's very much around, they'll pick up an object or they'll look at something and they'll look at it in a different way. And it's because of, you know, they were both in Montessori from when they were about, they just turned two. Um, and my oldest son uh, graduated a couple of years ago, and my younger son is about to graduate because our the Montessori we were at, they just went until they were six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found it was such a great grounding for them. So part of it was, you know, well, my mother-in-law said they should go to Montessori. So I'm send them. <laughs> okay, but then having kind of, having seen it through her eyes as some teacher and, uh, and then experienced, you know, what the boys did in school and the teaching method. And, and so on this, like Connie was saying, the vast array, it's not just academics. It was, you know, they, they learn about practical life. They learn, you know, they water plants, you know, it's like, it's things like that, the practical side of things um, as well, which I was just really drawn to. And I thought, you know, isn't, wouldn't this be great if we, it was something that more kids could have access mm-hmm. to, 
um, you know, and, and be able to take advantage of. So, yeah, I've, uh, I'm sort of a firm believer in it, um, just my own personal experience. Oh, 100%. Oh, this is going to be exciting. I have so many more questions now, but I, I want to go back to the objects because clearly not only do you have you devoted right, your, your life, your time, your finances, your energy to encouraging Montessori education, but you also, it sounds like there was an emotional connection for you as well. Uh, so let's start with Connie. You, you brought a couple of objects. Tell us more about them. What, what significance do they have for you? Yeah, so my Montessori Peace Pool, um, it, it's very common to see Peace Pools, you know, life-sized Peace Pools in um, the garden areas or the entry areas of Montessori schools. Uh, Dr. Montessori firmly believed that um, educating for peace was an important part of uh, our world with children. Uh, she actually lived through both world, world wars and was exiled during world, world War II. Sorry, my tongue's a little tied today. Uh, during World War II, was exiled to India. And so she saw the impact during her work, um, within her work during the World Wars, uh, how that impacted children. And so she firmly believed that if we were to establish lasting peace in the world, it was going to be through the education of children. So we actually have peace, peace education curriculum in uh, Montessori classrooms. Um, and honestly, most of it is centered around um, healthy conflict resolution strategies. So we, uh, what I know now, use the model that is grounded in nonviolent um, conflict resolution, and we teach it to children at a very early age. At the, the, the moment they can begin to speak, uh, we teach them how to express themselves, um, ask for what they want from another person, and accept the other person's answer, whether it is uh, meeting that want or need or not. And so, you know, those kinds of strategies are just we need them in the world so much. And so the Montessori Peace Pool really means a lot to me. The other thing that really speaks to me about it is it's a, the quote on it is may peace prevail in the world. And it's written in English, but then it's also in other languages. So my little desktop Peace Pool just has four sides, but often Peace Pools have six or eight sides and it has many different, that, that phrase in many different languages. And that reflects the inclusiveness that, you know, Dr. Montessori um, saw as a really important part of a child's development too, is understanding people around the world. And that uh, she was blessed to live in many different areas of the world and saw different ways that people lived and realized that that's what children really need. And then I have a bell. And so in a Montessori setting, um, you know, anytime we try, we need to get the children's attention, we use a bell. And, and they use it as well if they want to get each other's attention. So, um, you know, in traditional settings, there can be more um, assertive ways, maybe even sometimes aggressive ways to get a child's attention. Um, but because our environments are very uh, free moving and there's a lot of activity going on. Uh, you know, we like to use just a very little you know, ring of the bell and we wait until everyone is giving us our attention and then, you know, we get the information. So uh, the, the bell is a really critical part of a, a peaceful, harmonious classroom. Peace and harmony in the classroom. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's not what you hear often, especially, mm-hmm. especially in, I, I don't know, North America for sure. I'm not certain you know, what it's like in Canada, but in the US, obviously um, there's been, there's a lot of challenges or <laughs> a lot of challenges in education. I'll just yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> we might unpack some of that, maybe not. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, I think Connie, you were talking, is it the nonviolent communication? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yes. I love that. I teach it all the time to my coaching clients. So if those of you who heard it, nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg is game changing and how to express your needs and share feelings in a way that really creates dialogue as opposed to shut it down or mm-hmm. having people conflict and battle it out. So thank you for sharing that. And Nas, tell us your quote one more time and then the significance for, for you. For sure. Yeah, I was actually just going to comment on the uh, yeah. bell insofar as I thought I, it's interesting where it's like that one signal that everybody knows and understands. It's almost as if you know, adults sometimes need that one signal, right? Because there's mixed signals all the time where like somebody wants somebody to stop and they don't know, you know, well, or to you know pause or something. Whereas like if you hear the bell, it's almost Pavlovian, I guess, right? It's like you're like... <laughs> okay, yeah, something, you know, something's forthcoming, you know, from the teacher or something like that. So yeah, I think that that's a, a useful tool. Um, so my quote is, the child is both a hope and a promise for mankind, which, um, you know, Connie and I didn't talk before today, but it almost like dovetails so well into what she was saying about, you know, about peace and, um, you know, about just, I guess, the future of humanity, if you will, and the importance of, of children. Um, you know, and how that philosophy of, you know, a lot of times kids will start Montessori as early as 18 months, um, sometimes even earlier, depending. I know they sometimes have infant classrooms and, and so on. Um, and just starting them learning that early, I think, is, is so important because they're really the ones who are going to be the future. And they're really sort of that getting the grounding in that kind of philosophy um, you know, that kind of nonviolent communication, um, you know, the kind of honest, respectful dialogue, uh, I think is, is really important um, as we look to the future, as we sort of consider even the world that we're in right now and, and everything that's been happening, um, you know, not just at the macro scale of, of what's going on, let's say in the Middle East, for example, but even if you look at the local level at, um, you know, how people sort of, you know, when in a situation like COVID, you know, would turn, you know, one another, or different perspectives on, you know, whether it's, you know, what's causing it, what's the government doing about it, you know, what's going on with vaccinations, should people get whatever the perspectives are, it was just this, like, I'm not going to listen to you, because it's not what I think. And Mm -hmm. people lose that ability to communicate with one another. And this rings a bell to tell them to stop. <laughs> I'm gonna buy a bell and I'm gonna carry it in my purse. Yeah, right. <laughs> the grocery store, to the bank, the auto shop. information. Yeah. <laughs> and then and you'll and you'll know the Montessori students because they're the ones who will stop. <laughs> my teacher here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to contrast this a bit with your own education. I, I'm assuming that the two of you did not attend Montessori school growing up. No. no. Okay. Got it. So now I'd love for you to contrast a bit of, you know, what was it like when you went to school? Like some of the things that you remember that stood out in your experience versus what you see or wish perhaps your education could have been um, now working or, you know, having been a part of Montessori culture. 
whoever wants to take it first. Well, you know, it's interesting as I was uh, listening to you ask the question, you know, my initial response was, listen, I grew up in rural Northern Michigan. So, you know, the education couldn't have been more different than uh, a Montessori education. But interestingly, now I'm, I'm realizing you know, the sense of community that I grew up in. I grew up, the town I grew up in was a population of 900 people. And, and our house was seven miles away from the town. So I mean, when, I, when I'm talking rural, it was really rural. Um, so the positives of that were, you know, it, it was like a take, it takes a village to raise children kind of place to live. Uh, there were certainly times when I felt disadvantaged by that as an adolescent. I was like, oh man, <laughs> somebody <laughs> told my dad that I did this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that sense of community, the, the people I graduated with were the same people that I went to kindergarten with when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And so some comings and goings, right? But, you know, and I still connect with those people today. So, you know, the, it, it, when I talk about, you know, the, my friends from high school, they really are my friends from childhood. I've known them almost my entire life. And so, you know, there is a significant component to Montessori education that is centered around building community. And in that way, there are similarities, you know, everything else, you know, it was, it was a putting in kind of education, right, which is what, you know, traditional education is designed after. Um, And so, you know, uh, becoming a Montessori educator, and this is true for a lot of us, uh, you know, we, it's almost a healing of that educational experience. I was not particularly inspired by my education growing up. Um, It took me many years to graduate from college, and I eventually pursued a master's, but I graduated from college with my bachelor's degree at 35, and I just, I never really felt inspired to do what it was that I wanted to do, and I, um, most of my life didn't know what that was. So, you know, I, I, when I see the inspiration that is fostered in children in a Montessori setting, there's a very sharp contrast for me. Um, and watching my children, you know, grow up and go out into the world. And, you know, they didn't necessarily know like exactly what it was that they wanted to do. And you know, I think today we accept that, you know, what it is that we're going to do in our life evolves over time. Um, and the beauty of a Montessori education is that it really, uh, I think, paves the way for that kind of idea of, you know, that we as humans are always evolving and growing. And uh, so the, the path on the journey might, you know, take a little veer to the right or a little veer to the left or a big veer to the right and a big veer to the left. Um, so, you know, I, I, I didn't... Um, I guess didn't know anything different when I was in it. So I wasn't particularly unhappy in my education as a child. It's just in the contrast now of what I know now versus what I experienced then. Well, that's huge. I mean, I, I can't relate at all because we left Panama when I was nine. So I was what third grade and we immigrated to the States. And then we, I think the first three years in the States, I went to three different schools because my dad was in the US military. So we moved. Mm. To a couple of different, you know, depending on the base, we moved to another base. Therefore, we had a different school system. Um, and I went to school in Georgia, I think three different elementary schools there, mm-hmm. then went to elementary school in Hawaii, and then middle school in Hawaii, and then high school in Alabama. It's like, you can just imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, I mean, I think I just survived it, I would say, you know, my educational experience, I would just say I was survived it, meaning 
not like <laughs> there are no gangs in our school, at least not that I could tell. So not that yeah. kind of survival, but the survival <laughs> as in, you know, let me just get in and get out. Let me just get my diploma. Mm-hmm. Let me just get my, you know, it was more, I don't recall. I mean, there may have been some moments, maybe when I was in band in band in high school, my 11th and 12th grade, that was probably the time where I felt I thrived, but mm-hmm. like I really came into my own because of the leadership roles that my band director had. He was much more constructive in his approach. And that's probably why he's responded so well, mm-hmm. but overall, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just kind of like, let, let me out of here when, when I'm done. Um, so I'm a little jealous. But Nas, what about you? Yeah. Tell us about your background or anything you want to comment on after. Yeah, I, I love Connie's thing about the village. Like I'm so enamored with that whole notion, but like you say, there's, you know, there's a flip side to it, but I'm always you know enamored with this whole idea of you know, building a community or having a community around you. Mm. When I was born in Kenya, so I grew up um, going to British-run private schools. Um, and yeah, that was very much, the British system is very much, you know, learn by rote. You know, you memorize things. Um, you're not a great deal of room for creativity or thinking outside the box. You know, it was very sort of almost formulaic. Mm-hmm. And almost that, I mean, and I don't know if it's a generational thing, but almost as if, you know, okay, you're in school until you're 18 or if, you know, until you're 22 when you go to university or whatever, but, you know, then the education stops, right? And there isn't that sense of like, well, I have to continue learning through life. It's almost as if you have to know what you were going to do. With the British system, you know, when you're 13, you pick eight subjects that you want to take. And then when you're 16, you pick three. So you narrow yourself down so much at such an early age. Whereas, you know, when I learn about what high school was like, even in Canada, where, you know, you have to take so many subjects and you have to take math and English, you know, all the way until you finish high school. I thought, you know, that sort of broadens your options, even the four-year undergraduate degree, um, you know, versus somewhere like England, where you could just go and get a law degree and be done in three years. So I, you know, cousin of mine, you know, we graduated at the same time, but by the time she was 21, she was a lawyer. If you come to Canada or the States, you do your four-year undergrad and then you do your three years of, of law school. So it was just such a, a difference where the British almost have you specialize. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I find now the world is so so much more about a variety of skills, leveraging different skill sets and, and just that evolution that Connie was talking about, about how you don't have to, I always grew up just thinking, I need to know what I'm doing for a career and you know, it needs to be set in stone. There's no moving around, you know, there's sort of, you have to stick to what you picked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a way it's nice, you know, Connie, as you speak about your children, you know, kind of forging their own path, but being okay about a not knowing that path and be mm-hmm. veering from the path if you need to, to veer from the path. I always like hearing stories about people. That's why with the work I do, I create um, events for uh, for executives. And one of my favorite parts is when I, uh, when I confirm a speaker and they send me their photo and bio, because I'm avidly reading that bio, because I love to find out, you know, where did they start? Where did they end up? You find out the most amazing things, you know, people who were in one career that completely made this switch. Um, and I just thought that that was so, so interesting. And to tie it back, Valerie, to, to how you moved around, I find Americans are so mobile. Somebody <laughs> who you know, they worked in Hawaii then they went to, you know, Arizona. Now they're working in New York and it, it's like, there's nothing to the mobility. Whereas in Canada, you rarely find people moving between the major cities. In fact, there's this sort of identity that you create 
with your city. You, it's rare, like, I mean, you'd, you'd rarely find people going back and forth unless it was for business or for travel, you know, vacation and so on between like Vancouver and Toronto, for example, or Toronto and Montreal. It's like, you have this core identity as like, well, no, I'm from this city um, and there's less mobility. Whereas I was always fascinated by, you know, it, it just the American, maybe it's that sort of the traveler, adventurous kind of spirit, um, you know, the seizing of opportunities, you know, going wherever the opportunities are. But yeah, that was, I, I'm always interested in sort of seeing, well, somebody went to school and did biology and now they're like, uh, you know, they're now, you know, kind of this like other kind of executive or doing something mm-hmm. completely different. I'm always interested in how people's careers take twists and turns around the place. How they move. Well, you moved right from Kenya. <laughs> what, yeah. How'd you end up in Canada in Toronto? Yeah. So that's interesting. So we, um, I mean, I think by virtue and I guess privilege of being at a, at a private British school, your options were open in terms of where you went for university. Um, we Nobody typically stayed in Kenya because the tertiary level of education wasn't great. We actually had pretty good primary and secondary level of, edu- of education, but at the tertiary level, it wasn't, wasn't that great. So you typically would go to the UK because we were a former colony. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, you know, the resources in our library now, bear in mind, it's interesting because I, I went to this private British school, which you would think would have, you know, these state-of-the-art facility, facilities and so on. I took classes in sort of um, standalone rooms that were like, you know, where the, the walls were held up by termites, like the termite mounds. Like, it was so random. Like some, we had actual buildings, but then we also had something that you would think, yeah, that's Africa. That kind of makes you just in this kind of like hut in a way where it was like, you know, I'd sort of look over to the side, I'm like, oh, there's like a termite mound right over there. <laughs> They're holding, holding up, up the, the wall. Room. Um, you know, but the teacher was great. And it, was a, it was a great education, but, you know. Um, and so our resources, I mean, you, mm-hmm. university had a, um, on one of the shelves, there was like this big of a sort of like stack of catalogs or something, you know, for universities. 80% of them were uh, British. And of the remaining ones, um, you know, there was only one Canadian university, which was McGill University in, universe, in uh, Montreal, because they really sort of emphasized their international um, presence and, and so on. And so didn't have a ton of resources. My brother, who was two years older than me, had applied to universities in, in Canada. We had quite a bit of family in Canada. And I thought, OK. And mm. when I think back on my university application process. I'm horrified because I just think I literally took his like addressed envelopes that he didn't send. There were seven. And I was like, I don't really want to go to Alberta and I don't really want to do a co-op program at this place. Five, I just applied to them. I not know anything about them. Like I knew a couple in Vancouver. We had some family in Vancouver. I ended up getting a scholarship and going to a school called Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. At that point, Kingston for me was the capital of Jamaica. I'm like, <laughs> no idea. Like, you know, I'd never been to Ontario. I'd been to Canada several times, but all our family was on the Western side of Canada. I packed my bags, I had two suitcases and I just arrived. And when I think back, I think, what was going through my mind? What was going through my parents' minds? Like literally across a continent, across an ocean. And I just kind of, you know, went with my brother and they just said, you know, I said, well, weren't you worried? And they're like, no, we raised you to be smart. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, you try. I, I just don't know if I would trust my kids to do that today. <laughs> I think, you know, parents have changed, right? You're sort of almost so much more protective. And, yeah, so ended up in in Kingston, and um, you know, which is about three hours east of Toronto. And then generally, when most people graduate, they'll kind of gravitate towards the bigger cities, which is why I ended up in in Toronto. But yeah, it's you know, in hindsight, I mean, yes, it all worked out. But when I think back, I'm like, 
how did I even think this had a chance of working out, not knowing anything? Whereas now people will say, you know, oh, we took our, one, one of my clients is saying that, oh, we went on an RV trip this summer. I was taking my sons to colleges. And I'm like, you look at colleges before you <laughs> What it's is this thing. strange notion? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do any of that either. My, my, I wasn't, I just wanted to go to school wherever my friends were, which happened mm-hmm. to be a, a local community college and right out of high school in the same, near the military base where we lived. And I was like, no, oh, I'm just going to go there. That's where my friends are. And my dad was like, nope you're going to four-year school. They hadn't mm-hmm. gone to four-year school, but they thought that was too important a time mm-hmm. to, you know, piddle that away. <laughs> They're like, yeah. no, no, no. And my older brother was actually going to the same school. So I was like, fine. You know, he was two years ahead. And yeah. I literally was kind of grudgingly like, fine, I'll just go to the same school. It's fine. Yeah. And oh my gosh, college again was just such a wonderful experience. For me, it was a constructive experience because I created that. I think I had that opportunity to now exercise some free will, whereas I think in my, my primary education, secondary education, I didn't. Mm. So yeah, what, what did you study, Nats? I did political science. Political science, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to, I started off, I, so my, um, the hut that I studied in that class was economics, which I loved. It was like my favorite, favorite course. And I thought, oh, I'll go do economics. But it was very different. Again, like the British system, it was like I could write lots of essays about economics, but I didn't have the quants. I didn't have the math behind it. Um, and because we weren't required to take math until we finished high school, I lost a lot of it when I you know, finished. And so um, I remember going to, you know, I went to a couple of economics class first year, and then we went to a, uh, a tutorial by the TA, and it was supposed to be review, and he was going across the whiteboard and writing all these concepts, and it was like symbols to me. I was like, and I turned to the person next to me, I'm like, is this review for you? They're like, yeah, we did it in high school. I'm like, oh. I was like, I cannot do this. I cannot do, <laughs> I can't say economics, like, this is crazy. So, and then not only knowing sort of the options, right, because in you know, you had a few options of picking courses and so on, but I didn't realize how much of an option you had. You know, I only recently found out actually that I was, you know, I could have just completely switched majors when, once I was, I I mean, I switched from economics to politics, but I could have gone into, you know, commerce, for example, which almost seems like a better fit for me now because I'm in the corporate world, but, um, but yeah, but I ended up switching to, to politics and loved it. And then realized that sometimes it doesn't matter what you take as long as you enjoy it, because then you're, you really enjoy, you know, you'll, you'll excel at it and, and it'll be anything. So yeah, so I did, but because my dad, you know, I remember my brother calling my dad saying, so she's switching out of economics and, you know, like your phone card, crackling line, my dad in Kenya going, what, what is she doing? It's like, well, she's going into political science, like politics. And you think about the politicians and, you know, uh, it's like, she wants to be a politician. No. Like, no, no, she's just going to do politics. It might lead to something. Who knows? Maybe she'll be a lawyer. Maybe she'll go do something else. But, you know, because it has a whole different connotation. Yeah. It says, yeah. So it's like, what, what, what does that mean? What does politics mean exactly? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Kanye, I see you nodding. <laughs> what is, what's your reaction to all of that? Or in uh, your own experience, what, what resonates? Yeah, so many parts of that resonate. Even some of your the comments you were making, Valerie. You know, when I graduated high school, I mean, none of neither of my parents, none of my aunts or uncles. I'm from a big Catholic family. Uh, you know, their college was not what what happened after high school. Um, 
And so, uh, but my older sister had gone to college and, uh, you know, straight out of high school, very, she went to University of Michigan and, you know, so very um, well renowned and prestigious school. And um, so, you know, I, I think she said to me when I was graduating, you know, you're going to college, right? <laughs> and so, um, but I had a similar experience to yours, Nas, in that. Um, I just had the hardest time in college uh, with physics. I could not for the life of, I took, must have taken physics four or five times, could not pass that class for the life of me. It wasn't until finally I went, uh, I had gone to community college through my 20s. I had fallen in love when I was 21 and got married and had babies. And, you know, so I took classes here and there, you know, um, and, and then, you know, later in my 20s discovered really that education was my path and, you know, really switched gears. But, um, um, I, I finally went back to, I was at Michigan State, um, could not pass physics for the life of me. I finally went back to community college and took a pre-physics class and realized like, oh, I never had any of this yeah. in high school, right? <laughs> and I'm sure there was a guidance counselor, like I have this vague recollection of a guidance counselor telling me that I should have taken, you know, like, yeah, you should, you know, this your senior year, make sure you take this. And I'm, I'm clearly didn't, um, you know, but, uh, you know, that, and that was the extent of it, Just similar to your collegiate experience. Like, no, my parents were not involved in that process and probably nor would they have really um, recognized that I needed to take pre-physics. So, um, but it actually wasn't until I started teaching in a Montessori middle school and I had to teach science that I finally like, Oh, that's what physics is about, right? <laughs> so, uh, oh man, if I had had this when I was in middle school or high school, I would have been fine in physics yeah. class. But you know, I just kind of, I would feel like, I'm like, God, my brain just doesn't work that way. I don't, I do not get this stuff. Um, you know, so it it was that uh, you know clearly a gap in my educational experience leading up to. Um, but then I was a non-traditional student. I, I didn't realize that's what I was uh, when I went to Michigan State. I had gone to community college in rural northern Michigan, and the same kind of the same as you, Valerie. You know, I had a couple of friends that were going there out of high school, and I hadn't really applied to any four-year universities. I think I applied to Michigan State and didn't get in, or I can't remember. Uh, so. I went to, you know, the, um, the, the big city, which was, you know, Traverse city, I think the population was like 90,000 people. So that's big from uh, 990,000. Right. <laughs> that felt big to me. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I got through my freshman year barely, you know, I, I, and it just was like, you know, I'm not sure this is how I should be spending my time or my money. Um, and so I went back home for a year and then um, my brother was living in Lansing, Michigan. And I felt like I was, I'd actually had a, a bit of a personal crisis and I needed a change. And so um, moved down to Lansing and then that's where I met my um my first husband, he's the father of my children, but we are not currently married or not married any longer. Uh, so um, <laughs> I'm like currently, right? Yeah, like maybe we will be again. Plans? No, we will not. We haven't be. talked uh, about maybe next week. week. <laughs> certain about that. Um, and, and so when I Brian know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I went to Lansing, I just started taking classes at the community college. But again, I did not know what I wanted to do, and so <clears throat> I did. You know, my fa my family was in business. We had. 
Uh, my mom was a, uh, the head accountant for the resort in the town that we lived in. My dad was a realtor, but we had owned restaurants throughout our lives. And so I just was taking business classes and not particularly inspired by them, but just thought like, well, this was what my family does, you know, so I might as well do this. Um, and even after getting married and having the kids I'd take a, you know, a class here and a class there, I was just kind of like, nothing really got me motivated. So, uh, and I always felt like I wanted to get my bachelor's, but like in what, you know? So um, when I was in my late twenties, I I was experiencing a divorce and, you know, had young children. I think my girls were gosh, four and five years old at the time. And so um, I had gone to a retreat where uh, one of the activities was discovering your life's purpose. And lo and behold, who knew it, you know, that I just was um, meant to be an educator. And, And I know that sounds a little corny, but it's so true. Like as soon as I discovered that it was like, oh yeah, this is it. Um, I had always growing up gravitated towards hanging around with the the little kids. Um, Again, big Catholic family, like every possible event, whether it was birthdays, Memorial Day, Labor Day, I mean, a gathering with 90 to 100 people, you know, so I'm one of six kids. My mom's one of seven. We all lived in this rural area. And so, uh, it, it, and it's, it has, um, led itself to being, you know, exactly what I, uh, what I know I'm supposed to be doing. And at at a certain point, it transitioned from, you know, directly teaching children to teaching adults. Um, And that has come to me at different times in my life um, through practices, you know, um, Valerie and I have a similar connection in our in our spiritual life of the, the Unity Church. And so one year in the Whitestone ceremony, you know, I was asking for guidance of like, you know, what is what is it I'm supposed to be doing right now? And it was still teach. And, uh, you know, so that's been a constant theme in my life. And, um, you know, once I figured that out, school was so, e- well, easy isn't the right word, right? I was motivated. I think you used that. Inspired, right? right? Inspired, right? It was hard. I was a single mother with two little kids. And so I would, uh, you know, go to classes when they were at school. Uh, I would tuck them into bed at night and stay up until midnight and do my homework and then get up in the morning and do it all over again. But there was a purpose behind it. And so, you know, I had to do it slowly. You know, I figured that out at 29 and back to community college to get as much of it done as I could because again I was a single mother so I had to do it the most inexpensive and flexible way that I could Uh, and then you know transferred to Michigan State when I uh, when it was time and I couldn't take any more classes at the community college and um, it wasn't until I was there that I I heard the description of non-traditional student you know like I've never really um, seen myself as non-traditional, but I certainly have not also seen myself as traditional. And um, I've always just kind of done what uh, I felt um, drawn to doing. And uh, it was funny, a couple of years ago, my my childhood girlfriends and I were um, together and just kind of reminiscing. And one of them said, yeah, you've always just kind of done, you know, what you wanted to do. And it's like, I that has never occurred to me that that's how I've lived my life. <laughs> but when I reflect back on it, it's true. You know, that I've just, I, 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 for some reason, you know, I certainly had other inhibitions, but I was uninhibited about, you know, following whatever I was inspired by or whatever, what I would now say, whatever my truth was. Um, even if it meant getting pushback from, you know, people who I 
valued and respected. So, um, so that's, it was actually a very accurate description. It's just something I'd never really considered before. (laughs) You know, that's the, I think the beauty of education when done, let's say there's not like a right or wrong, but I think when Mm -hmm. done in alignment with the individual, right. Mm -hmm. When, when we do it in alignment, then it could be very inspiring, very, very purpose-driven. And for some, the need for structure and design and instruction is important, right? And I think for me, I mean, I, yeah, I made it work. I, I was a fairly decent student. I was like in the, you know, the top, I don't know, 30, 35 of my class of 200. So not bad. And in college, you know, I maintained like a 3.0. I mean, so in the grand scheme of things, I did okay as a student, but I never really felt the inspiration that I feel now as a professional. You know, I, I hosted a couple of, of Connie students on a, in a business internship earlier this year. And, and it was so fascinating. One, because at first I was kind of like, I'm kind of a non-traditional business person, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, you know, you all mentioned this idea of being creative. And I always found that that's what was missing in my, in my education and what I see missing in the business. And, and Nas, I want to hear what you're hearing and seeing now, especially dealing with corporations. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was like, that's the part that I want them to experience that business doesn't have to look a certain way. And you can still wake up every day, committed to what you're doing and, and still feel, you know, be fulfilled and achieve the goals that you have. And, and so it's, it was, a, it was not only a, wonderful, fun um, experience, but I thought it was a nice experiment for me to also validate that how I do things and what I do has, you know, has the intrinsic value. Like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. And it doesn't have to look like everybody else. And, you know, everybody else do what makes sense to you. Do what aligns with your soul, with your core, with your values, with, you know, whatever your external needs and, and expectations are. But it was like, oh, I can now do this in my whole life. <laughs> Doesn't you know? Mm. I can design it. So yeah, it's that that for me has been the biggest win. I think you know. I when last when you and I met, I I was leaving Hyatt. So kind of your transition time. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. So I just um and it, so I made. I think you and I connected Nas uh maybe a few months before that, like let's say yeah. six months or nine months before because I was going to be a speaker at one of your events. I was facilitating a a workshop Mm -hmm. and, and I was there to represent the the company I worked for Hyatt. And so, but then when Hyatt underwent this whole big change, they eliminated my department literally three weeks before the event. But it was interesting because it was, yeah, it was three weeks before the event was supposed to take place in Mm September. 2017, I think. And then yeah. there was the hurricane and we were supposed to be in Atlanta. Yes. Hilton Head. And we'd never postponed an event before. I mean, this is pre-COVID, right? So like mm-hmm. never postponed an event. And then we're like, oh, we're going to have to like, because we were supposed to be at Hilton Head Island and they shut the island down. They're like, right. we don't care what the hotel says. We don't care what you say. Like we're shutting the island down. Mm-hmm. And so then we switched it to December, if you're Yep. And it was unusually cold and the hotel wasn't equipped kind of almost like when you guys had your snowstorm because they had space heaters do you remember how cold oh, I, I don't remember the cold but I, yeah that's good <laughs> good you don't remember that yeah but it was so, yeah, I had that, so much going on back then I, I know but that was like but it, what's interesting is that tradition like typically with our events I mean when you had called me like technically I should have said 
well, you're not a Hyatt anymore. Like, you know, we wanted that perspective, but like, I've always sort of been this big believer in, yeah, so like my mind is sometimes split insofar as like I've grown up and speaking to what you were saying, Connie, as well, it's sort of in that traditional way. Like I always thought you're born, you go to kindergarten, you go to primary school, secondary school, university, you get married, you get have a job, you have kids, you die. Like for me, it was it's always <laughs> linear. Right. And like, so, and I, so for me, you know, I, I feel like I didn't sort of go that route of, you know, I didn't go get a second degree or I didn't, like I found my autograph book from when I was in high school and people would write. And one of my friends said, you're going to be a lawyer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll be a lawyer. But like, I never kind of went that route, but I still kind of followed this linear thing. And like, now I find that I'm, I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, like, do I have to stay on this kind of same trajectory and same thing or can I change things up and when you talked about designing I just got this book out the library it's called um designing your life I think I have yeah. that no, I don't have it's, that I have it on my kindle <laughs> oh yeah see there yeah and I just just started reading that and it was this whole notion of like yeah you can design it it doesn't have to be designed for you you know and, and very much along and I find what Connie was saying so inspirational I mean clearly it was sort of you probably didn't realize it but like the value of education you know, you ending ending up in education and because you could have very easily, you know, sort of thought, well, I've had my kids, I'm married, I'm this is who I am. Like I'm a mom and I have my kids and that's what I'm gonna do. But it was like you just kept taking courses. And I was like, why did she keep taking courses? Like why because it was important, right? It was like something about education that made you think this is something that's important to to pursue. Um but yeah, you kind of get to these crossroads and they're scary. Like I admire what you did, Valerie, in terms of like, you know, when you leave corporate America, it's like because what I find with talking to people is that there's always this, you know, I'm a manager, now I'm a senior manager, now I gotta get to the director position, now I gotta be senior director. And that like, it's always, you're constantly reaching for the next thing, you know, and, and to then not be in it, you know, to sort of leave it, there's that scary part of like, well, what if I, if I wanna get back in, do I have to start all the way at the bottom again? Or what do I, mm -hmm. sort of that element of, of bravery and just saying, <laughs> what, I'm gonna kind of forge my own path now. Oh, huge. And expectations or whatever. I don't know if I shared this with you, Nas, but hey, I'm so glad that you decided to like swerve <laughs> and let me be a part of the event because at that event, and I don't know if I shared this with you before, but I remember sitting in some of the talks, right? There are people from all large corporations, Delta, Gap, also, you know, huge you know, medical systems, like nationwide stuff. Great opportunity to network. Like if I wanted to get my foot in the door someplace, this was a learning community. So people that were, you know, corporate learning exactly where I needed to be. I was two weeks, you know, that I transitioned from Hyatt. So I was like in limbo. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in these talks and all these presenters and going, nope, I don't want to be here at all. Like, that's not the life I want. This is not the type of the work I want to do. There, it was just so... It was this knowing right away. The people were amazing. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed so much, like getting to know people and we had a lot of fun. Um, I think you and I, I kept going out to talk to you about stuff. I'm just like, I don't know, just talking to people, being friendly. But I remember yeah. distinctly having this feeling of, nope, not anymore. And, and specifically because I heard them talk about things in, in the realm of learning and education and corporate education. But I'm like, we're still talking about this? It's mm -hmm. been like 15 years that I've been in this field and the same topics are recycled over and over again with like another strategy and another solution. And look, I'm not taking anything away from the efforts made, but it just never appealed to me as I was listening. I was just like, 
I can't do this. I, can't, I don't want to work at any of these companies. But I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> and so I took a few mentors and, and literally maybe six months after that experience is, you know, when I decided to hang the shingle and got my LLC and all that for my business. Um, there was some really wonderful divine intervention in between, but I'm so glad I went because otherwise I would have been chasing the, okay, well, I need to get in at that level again and I need to figure out what other company, oh, Wells Fargo or blah, blah, blah. And that was just like a, now I know what I don't want. So thank yeah, you. No, which is big, but mm. I mean, which is big. And because in my mind, I was thinking, you know, it's sort of in line with that whole philosophy of that, you know, it's just that one straight line you go on. And I'm like, it's okay. Valerie will come. She'll network. She'll meet someone. She'll get a job. Like everything will be wrapped up nicely and she'll be back in the corporate world. It's all good. She'll be okay. Cause it's just like, then she'll be back on that path again. Right. And, you know, and, and just the fact that you, and I do recall you telling me <laughs> made you decide not to do it. And I'm like, what? Like, I, I mean, that's sort of like, it's so great that you were like, you got the insight into what you didn't want to do. Cause that's almost more important than knowing what you want to do. Right. It's like, I know what I don't want to do, which is, which is great. So yeah. What a journey though. Right. Oh, so cool. So everybody needs a NAS in their life, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our generosity also multiplies. We have no idea, you know, the, the impact that a yes or a no could have mm -hmm. on the life of someone, the, the trajectory of a life, you know, so but also the power of networking, because I think like I actually only came across because it was Daniel Gandrilla who introduced us. Right. So yes. he's somebody I had a speaker and I said, you know, I'm looking for somebody to lead. And he's like, well, I know Valerie. I don't know if you guys worked together before. Maybe. No, he saw me because I facilitated a session for executive education at University of Texas here in Dallas. No. I did for, for learning for people in the learning community. I facilitated a session like a year or two before. Oh, interesting. So like just the yeah. power of the network. Yeah, for sure. Daniel and I, we weren't particularly friends. We just met at that event and probably LinkedIn and then that was it. So I'm yeah. so glad. Who, you know, it's so funny, like all the divine, you know, Connie and I talk about these things all the time. So our, you know, our spiritual uh, uh, philosophy is very aligned, but uh, mm -hmm. Connie, love to hear your reaction. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. I'm blanking a little bit. Uh, it's kind of the, it reminds me of the nature versus nurture, right? Mm. You know, like, um, is it the environment that we're moving through that helps us to define like what we're passionate about or what our, um, what our path in life is going to be? Um, or is it something that is um, biologically instilled in us? And, you know, I, I over time, I have um, embraced the idea that almost everything is some of both, you know, that I love Valerie hearing you talk about like going to that uh, seminar, just like, oh yeah, this is definitely not it anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and we talk about that a lot, you know, when we do those business internships with the middle school students and they don't always work out. Like, you know, our kids had a great experience with you, Valerie, but that doesn't always happen. And that's, and then we'll say, you know what, now you know what you don't want to do, right? So that's a, what a valuable learning experience. But, you know, like how, how does one know what they really want to do until they, you know, try some things? And how is one thing more, right for someone than for another or um you know a better fit you know so i i i um i really think about 
you know, on all of our life's journeys and the things that we are exploring about ourselves as we go through the steps in life, you know, reflecting on the, um, you know, this is just how I'm wired. And I do think there's a component of that. I, I, uh, I know that when I'm going to do something, I need to plan ahead. I need to practice it a few times. It, like that is my process. And I know it's my process because it's how I'm wired. <laughs> um, some of it's experiential because, you know, there's been times when I haven't done it and, you know, things um, did not work out so well. And so, but, but mostly I know that I am most calm and peaceful and ready when I do those steps, but that isn't the next person's process, right? So I, I can actually probably drive a few people crazy with my need for planning and preparation and, you know, getting there, you know, 45 minutes ahead of time to you know, like make sure something didn't fall through the cracks and those types of things where, you know, for someone else, uh, the spontaneous approach is much more um, aligned with their personality style. So, um, yeah, so I just, I think it's such an interesting uh consideration when we think about, you know, how your, your business life has evolved, Valerie, and you know, where it started in something that was very structured and not necessarily designed by you. Mm -hmm. I just think, I think is what I'm hearing you say, right? I was like, you know, you're kind of recycling the same ideas that have been recycled for years and years. Um, and then moving to something where, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, where you have more agency, and uh, where your creativity can flourish. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I love that awareness. And that doesn't mean that that the, the earlier path in your career uh, isn't right for somebody else. You just figured out that, oh, my gosh, the light bulb went off. Oh, my gosh, this isn't right for me. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, being willing to take that Jag, you know, it's like we were talking about earlier, like, you know, life is, um, you know, has the little lefts and right turns and you did a big old uh, right turn. Right. And I don't uh, know if it was that big. I, I feel like I was led. I really yeah. do. Truth yeah. be told, I know that I was led every single thing. I could paint a picture of the year for you. You would have been like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's on the outside. I'm sure it looks that way. Right. If you see it on paper. Yeah, the process. And I imagine the two of you would stay the same. Like mm -hmm. if you were to really peel back the layers and the experiences and the people you met and the conversations you had and the resource and the book that dropped in your lap, like, oh, that was designed. Yeah. Like talk about the life of um, yeah. design. Yeah. I jotted that down real quickly. Yeah. That book, yeah. Like, okay. You know, but I will say though, Valerie, um, for some and maybe many, the confidence and the courage that it takes to walk away from the security and the paycheck of corporate mm -hmm. America, you know, yeah. so that I think is where like the person, the outsider looking in, or even I'm not an outsider in your life, or like the person looking into your life might say like, Ooh, big right turn. You go girl. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I think, I do suspect we'll see more of that, you know, post pandemic, I'm already experiencing mm -hmm. that in, you know, my world where people are like, yep, time for me to try something new, mm -hmm. uh, you know, moving, trying new jobs and those types of things. And so, but, you know, you, you did it, um, at a time when, you know, life wasn't, I don't, I don't know what, turning up the fire on all of us of like looking mm -hmm. at, are we, are we really living the life we want to, you know, the, the life we've designed for ourselves, Or are we living that, as you were talking about, Naz, that path of just like, 
you know, I'm supposed to do this next, you know? And so many of us were led down that path and, you know, quite possibly rooted in our education because that's how the education systems are set up. So, right. Yeah. You see, you definitely see a lot. Like there's a story um, right now about a couple, like they're originally from Ontario, but they were in New York, you know, finance careers and so on. And then Mm -hmm. they just went and stayed with her parents on a farm and now they own like a, um, it's sort of uh, like grass fed, uh, you know, um, dairy products from the farm and they've just created this, this business. And so it's like kind of going, veering off that path that they thought, but I think it's great that you, you had mentioned middle school internships, mm-hmm. um, right? Like, and I just, I wish I had had that when I was, I mean, I wish I'd had a guidance counselor, like, <laughs> cause like we never even did like your, take your kid to, to your work day. Like mm-hmm. oh, my parents owned a bookstore in Kenya um, you know, and they had, you know, some real estate stuff and, but like, and, and I don't think their intention was that I would, you know, take over the store or anything. Like they always believed in higher education, wanted me to, you know, get a degree and so on. But it was like that I'd never been to an office in my life, you know, coming out of, you know, university and, and or coming out of high school and so on. And I find mm-hmm. internship ideas just so great because like you were saying, it, it tells you what, you know, people learn what they don't want, you know, they, see something like you were saying, um, Valerie, you know, you're sort of that non-traditional business, but just to be able to see that things are different. I think it's, it's sort of part of how things are less homogeneous now, right? It's not, everybody doesn't work in a factory. Everybody doesn't work in now corporate America. Mm-hmm. We'll have all these different jobs. I think social media has just opened up this whole other area of people just being able to monetize you know, pictures they take or something. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I'm yeah. making money off of this. I'm like, how is this possible? But it's amazing how, you know, I've seen one of my friends who's, you know, um, uh, has a PhD in organizational psychology hmm. um, and who's really, I've seen her journey. We haven't really talked about it, but I've seen her journey just through her social media posts where she's kind of, you know, in a way pivoted where she was, um, you know, she still does teach part-time, but she's also, you know, very much about um, kind of living a, sort of healthier lifestyle from a nutrition perspective. So, you know, diets are bad, you know, don't, you know, don't go on diets and stuff like that, but just very much talking about her own personal experience, but then just her journey of how she parlayed it through a social media lens, um, you know, is so interesting. And that's a whole other area where people are going to say, I don't need to work for anyone. I don't need to work for a big corporation. You know, I don't need to clock in at a job. Um, you know, if I can work remotely, I feel like this, you know, COVID is going to shake things up you know, quite a bit in terms of people's realization that they can work from anywhere and do different things and, and be okay doing it. You know, I just had a, a big insight while you were sharing. I don't know if it's that big. I thought of it, but never in these terms. So my mother is an educator. She, you know, that's her background. And we, we immigrated from Panama. She basically had to leave her educational um role behind because we were moving around so much. And in the States, it required a whole different level of certification. And she was like, I don't have the time or with, you know, four kids, we're moving. I don't have that. But what she did for us is we were always involved in the community. She's a huge believer in volunteer service. So, you know, we're talking about not going to an office until after, you know, after college. And I'm like, oh, we did stuff like that all the time. Like my mom during the summers, her thing was you get two weeks to like play around and hang out and eat pop tarts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> but <laughs> after two weeks, go find something to do. And the first, <laughs> I remember during my primary years, we'd go with her and, you know, either volunteer at a church or she used to work for, um, in Hawaii, she worked for Honolulu Theater for Youth, which was in downtown Honolulu wow. in an office, 
and she would either have us, you know, stapling programs or organizing costumes or whatever the theater um, company needed. And, but every summer it was something else. So we kind of, now that I'm thinking, I don't think I ever thought I had a Montessori education from my yeah. mom. <laughs> and you had a whole bunch of internships. Tons, tons of internships, <laughs> yeah. tons of experiential, yeah. you know, um, activities. And I'm like, oh, that's what has continued to drive me. Somehow yeah. it really aligned with who I am, but uh, I could talk to you guys for <laughs> hours. I really could. I think we only scratched the surface. Yeah. But now, now you can actually respond to each other's email and have a meaningful conversation. Yes. Now and that you know, to, and have the context. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to be responsible for the listeners and the time. So I'm just starting to kind of pull in some of these threads. Um, I'm curious now, I'm going to zoom out a little bit. What has been your experience in this conversation today? Like, what are you left with compared to when we, when we started to now? I'd say for me, it's, uh, um, what's the word? Reinforcement of the fact that I love talking and talking to strangers. And so like my, my kids will always say, you talk to anyone for so much they just know, like they've learned to kind of equip themselves with you know, not pulling on my arm and telling me to hurry up because they're like, she's not going to stop talking because it's just like you learn so much, you know, about about other about other people. So it's it's reinforced that. It's also given. I just think hearing, like I was saying, you know, just wanting to read the bios, you know, hearing Connie's story, hearing your story, like you've sort of done things differently to that like sort of linear path that I always think one must be on this linear path, and it's just so invigorating to hear, you know, the, the peace and the calm and the belonging that you feel in what you're doing now mm-hmm. and knowing, yeah, maybe it was a risk doing things, you know, the way you did it. And maybe in hindsight, when you look back, it's like what you were saying, Valerie, where it's like, when you look back, everything makes sense. Mm-hmm. You can weave a story around the journey you've taken and everything can make sense. But when you're in that moment, you're like, I don't really it's going to work out, but you do it, you know, you're brave, right? You do it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, I think, you know, sort of taught me a little bit about, about that, about how it's, it's okay to not follow that linear path. Yes. We give you permission, Nas. Yeah. Tell her outside (laughs) the lines a little bit. We're going to be your cheerleaders for the uh, going off the path. So yeah, yeah, gosh, for me, um, you know, I do talk with a lot of people in my job, right? That, you know, part of my job is not only, you know, connecting with the faculty and staff at the school, but also with the parents of the children um, and then prospective parents of, you know, families who are considering our school. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting. I I hadn't really realized until I've been in this job, um, you know, I've been a school director now, I guess this is my ninth year uh, as a school director um, after having taught for uh, 16 years, I guess. Um, so, you know, it was very different for me. And I noticed that, you know, what I came to understand is, you know, I, I really do love talking to people and by nature, I'm quite introverted. And so during this time that I've been in this uh, school leader role, I have found myself being less and less social uh, because, you know, I'm, I I am very introverted, but my job is very extroverted. I I said to my mom a couple of years ago, like, I finally realized that I'm an introverted person in an extroverted world. She's like, 
oh my gosh, Connie, that is so true. (laughs) And she had never considered it that way either. You know, I was always like the quiet kid and, you know, Um, so these kinds of conversations are really good for me. Like Valerie and I are usually pretty good about like scheduling time together, right? Because it's also a big job, especially in the pandemic year. And so, you know, this is my opportunity to officially apologize to Nas. You know, we we (laughs) passed on emails back and forth uh, quite a bit in, you know, about nine months ago. And then my lag time in between emails was significant. So, um, uh, so recognizing that, you know, by like having a, a defined time that I'm going to sit down and just get to know somebody just for the heck of it, that's an awesome thing, you know, <laughs> and, and I get a lot out of it, but in my day-to-day life, I won't necessarily naturally choose it because I'm often restoring from, uh, you know, that extroverted life that I'm living, that I love. And I'm so glad that I'm living it. Um, and, and I spend a lot of my weekend time kind of, you know, in more solitude. So this is such a great opportunity. And I, I think it's one of the things that's been so great about our interactions with each other, Valerie, is just like, you know, we're going to, we're going to set a time and we're going to hold to it. And uh, we always, uh, you know, we're both very busy women. And um, I'm sure there are times when it's just like, oh man, I'm so busy, you know, here here comes another meeting. Uh, But I know that at least for myself, I always feel restored by it. And that's what this experience has been. It's like restorative Mm -hmm. and also, um, restorative like energetically but restorative and i hope this doesn't sound too corny like faith in humanity right like there's really amazing people out there in this world and sometimes um you know we don't see a lot of that these days you know i I guess we see it but it's also i'm uh in in the pandemic i've had to pay attention to the news a lot more than i normally would i kind of stay in my bubble in in the world and part of that is you know i'm super sensitive so stuff really really hurts my soul. Um, but I've had to pay attention to the news in my job. So, um, so I said to my husband, I was like, man, the world is really so messed up right now. And you're just like, kind of, you're just paying attention more now. You know, this isn't very, it's always been messed up. (laughs) Uh, And then, and there's probably truth to that, you know, like, uh, um, there's a part of me that's ready to go back into the bubble, but, (laughs) but, you know, this is a, this has been a great opportunity for me to just, you know, also recognize that, you know, remember to, you know, keep making connections with other people because that's really where, um, the restoring, you know, faith in humanity comes in is by the, the more kind of one-on-one opportunities to connect. I love that. You just need to make your bubble bigger. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my Don't personal bubble. Just, yeah, just make it bigger. <laughs> you get more people. Um, uh, I, again, I've enjoyed so much this um, experience in the conversation. I always do. I, I'm, I'm seldom... I don't think ever, this is the 22nd episode, I believe. And I've not ever had that moment of like, man, that was a letdown. (laughs) Every conversation is so different. And I just want to say, I'm blown away that this is your 22nd episode already. Mm-hmm. I mean, just start doing this, my, I mean, I, I, this particular podcast, like, this one, yeah. man, girl, productivity, yeah. <laughs> you are knocking them out. This is like a Saturday chat for me. So that's why <laughs> it's not that hard. Not that hard. <laughs> yeah, last, the last podcast, I had 101 episodes and then I decided to pivot into this one and yeah, just started, kicked off in January. Yeah. Wow. And, um, so yeah, it's just been a few months. By the time this one is episode is aired, is it's, it's going to be well beyond that. But it's yeah, it's not been that long. 
But um, the last question I have for the two of you is what surprised you most about this experience? Hmm. Hmm. That is a good question. You know, I had zero expectations going into it. I think I've, you know, I, 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 I trust you so much, Valerie. And, um, you know, I, I kind of just came into it very open. Um, so I don't know that I've been particularly surprised other than, um, you know, reminding myself is probably a, a better word, you know, referring back to what I was just saying. It's like reminding myself of like, yeah, it, you know, it, I got to expand the bubble a little more. Like <laughs> instead of like, you know, cocooning uh, uh, in my downtime, recognizing that this is uh, part of my downtime too, you know, is making sure that I connect with people on a one-to-one -one basis or a three-to-one basis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I, I mean, I like talking to strangers. I like, you know, kind of meeting people and just talking to them. So I wasn't, I knew that this would be good because um, well, I know you, Valerie, and and I know, I know, I knew the conversation would flow, but I think similar to what Connie said, it's, I, a lot of my talking, a lot of the people I talk to, it's all work related. It's all, you know, I could, I could call somebody up, have a conversation with them. That's, you know, no problem, but it's like, I don't think I've ever had, you know, a, a conversation like this, you know, with mm -hmm. just sort of more personal because it allows you to delve into things that are about you. You know, when you're talking to clients, it's about them, right? It's never really talking about yourself. And it's so nice to be able to, you know, talk about a range of issues, you know, think back to, you know, things like around the ch our childhoods and what we're doing now and what's important to us. And, you know, that kind of carving out that personal time, um, but with people who don't really know you that well, I feel like there's that magic middle kind of area where it's like, you're never going to be clients. So I don't think of you in that way. And, you know, we're, we didn't grow up together, you know, we don't have history together, but when you can find, you know, when you can speak to each other for, you know, over an hour and a half or something like that, like, I feel like there's a magic in there. Yeah. You find these synergies and like what Connie was saying, you know, that humanity, you know, the shared humanity, the, the desire to see things in a, you know, see a positive world and, and so on. I think that that's sort of what, what's been nice about it as well. We are the prom, the hope and the promise. Oh, ladies, thank you so much. I am so grateful that both of you said yes and that you behaved during the podcast. I'm out. <laughs> was there a risk that we weren't there going to a risk. there was no risk it was just you know a nice school reference to this and i don't know how do you just right. put him on the story oh. you time out i don't know <laughs> ring the bell and you're ringing the bell <laughs> <laughs> i never had to ring the bell there you <laughs> go so engaged so thank you so much for sharing yourselves sharing your resources your passion your interests um, I hope to, that anyone that, you know, those of you who are listening or watching, that you found some inspiration, something that, you know, sparked your curiosity. I will make sure I put some information about Montessori education in case people want to go back and perhaps consider that as a career path or as a path to educate their children. But I think it's is worthwhile. And if nothing else, the spirit of Montessori, I think you heard in everything that we shared. Um, so thank you again, the two of you, thank you so much for bringing, you know, you came to play. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> perfect. Perfect. And those tuning in, please don't forget to subscribe, go to www.notquitestrangers.com. That way you will not miss a single episode. They'll come straight to you or to your inbox, or you can go to my YouTube channel as well. And you'll see the link below where you can subscribe for any episode and you'll get notified whenever they come up. So thank you all so much for joining us. 
Nas, Connie, thank you again for being here with us today. Everyone thank have you. a wonderful rest of the day. <laughs> Good to meet you, Nas. Nice meeting you too, Connie. You've been listening to the podcast, Not Quite Strangers. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite video or podcast platform. And for more information and content, go to notquitestrangers.com. See you next time.